We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McGeckron, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. Fred grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and has exhibited artwork throughout the U.S. and the world. It was great to learn his story. I am pleased to share my conversation with artist Fred Stonehouse. I think my first artistic impulse, thinking back on it, I think it's the first time that I felt the move towards how imagery or an image is powerful and, and important to me. So I was so young, and I, so I don't know exactly, maybe three or four, but I was so young that my, my, paint, my shorts that I had on didn't even have pockets in them yet. So I don't know how young that makes you, but pretty young. And I was in what was the equivalent of sort of a big box store at the time, you know, what would have been like Target now, say. And I was walking around with my mother and she was shopping for stuff. And we walked past the toy section and in an end cap, there was this bin of dinosaurs. Now I had some toy dinosaurs already. So it wasn't like, this was not a response to me wanting to play with toys. There was one particular stegosaurus, you know, just a tiny little thing, maybe two inches across. Something about the shape and the form of that stegosaurus in combination with the color, which was, of course, you know, completely imaginary color, struck me in such a way that I was like, oh my God, I have to have this thing. So I picked it up and I ran up to my mom and I said, mom, mom, look, this is only 19 cents. And she said, don't be stupid, put that down. And then she walked away. So I'm standing there and I knew that stealing was wrong, but this did not, this was not about right and wrong. This wasn't about the morality of taking something. This was like way beyond that. This was like, I must have this. I need to have this in my life. And I only have one option. My mother won't pay for it. I have no money. I have to take this with me somehow. Now, I didn't have any pockets, as I said, in my pants, my shorts. So I didn't know what to do. I was standing there, and the only thing I could think to do was to stick it in my mouth. So I put this little thing in my mouth and walked around following my mother, and she was chattering away, and I was not responding, of course, because I had a dinosaur in my mouth. And we get in the car, and she's still talking. So at that point, she must have realized something looked funny about me. And she reaches in my mouth and pulls out this spit-covered stegosaurus and marches me back in in shame to return it. But I now realize that that was probably my first recognition somehow like almost like biologically that I was an artist I needed like the power of and and a particular kind of artist an artist who needed the power of imagery in my life that that was a thing for me um and I think I probably immediately went home and made 14 different versions of what I could remember of that that like incredible object mother was deaf uh, from early, early childhood. And as five of seven siblings were deaf in her family. And they were children in the 1920s and 30s. And they were all sent to deaf school. Kids were encouraged to, in order to pass, you know, society and be able to function as a full member of the working world, they were encouraged to learn how to lip read, not to sign, because you can only communicate as a sign 
language communicator with people who can understand and communicate in sign language. It limits who you can talk to. The way it relates to my work, I think, is that every Sunday we would go to my grandmother's house and a whole extended family would be there, my mother's mother. She would make this big dinner, Sicilian family. And then afterwards, the siblings would sit around and they would have these conversations, including her, their hearing siblings, and they would speak to each other. <clears throat> and some of them, the speaking, there was barely audible because they were all lip reading. So I grew up with this idea that language is visual somehow, you know, like communication is visual. And I think I was always a visual thinker from that, you know, early on. And it just somehow reinforced that idea that everything's visual because now words were visual. I use a lot of language in my work and I'm always playing with words. Uh, additionally to what I was saying about seeing language as visual, which I do, I would often have to play with words and use different words and different ways of expressing myself in order to have my mother understand me either through lip reading or say even on the phone where I could communicate sort of basic ideas on the phone if I worked hard enough at it. Like she could pick up enough. As I got older and my voice lowered a little bit, it got mm. harder for her. When I was younger, she had an easier time understanding me on the phone. But just the idea that language was this malleable thing that you played with and that you looked at somehow it seemed perfectly not because people often say why is there all this language in your work and you know all this text and i think that's the root of it from my standpoint like part of being a visual artist is sort of playing with the senses is you know taking feelings and sounds and turning them into something visual so the fact that your upbringing was a little bit different in in with how senses relate makes that makes total sense like two parts of my life really two major parts of my life one was i'm drawing and i'm not in trouble even when i got in trouble it was barely trouble like if i was drawing instead of paying attention in school i always sort of got a pass i might get sort of you know yelled at but i never got punished and then there was the part of my life where i was in trouble and i was getting punished for it i went to catholic school so the punishment was physical at home it was physical so I think, I mean, maybe I was sort of forced into like the obvious choice for me of being an artist because of being somebody who drew and yeah. minded his own business and sort of drilled down deep in my own head was because it was a place I was safe and not in trouble. When you were a kid, drawing was a place that you was safe. You weren't in trouble. What is it now? Uh, you know, it's oddly similar. I mean, of course, it's become a bigger world in there. Uh, you know, the drilling down, I have to sort of descend further kind of down to the bottom of the ocean now. You know, I, when I started as a kid, I was drilling at, you know, like in the backyard, right at, you know, ground level. And now, like, the the day starts down at the bottom of the ocean somewhere. So it's a deeper, broader kind of place of i don't know maybe disconnection from the real world i don't know i don't i don't know that it's a disconnection it's i mean i feel like i'm really disconnected from the things that are not great about the real world like things that are annoying and distractions but i'm somehow much more deeply connected to being alive maybe i'm not i'm not sure i don't really think about it that much honestly um you know, it's one of those things artists just do and you don't question, but it's definitely like going somewhere else. It's like going, again, like going down to the bottom of the ocean. That's a good, 
analogy maybe because it's easier to get down there than it is to get back up out of it somehow. You know, when you're in that flow state in the studio and you're really deep in it and hours are going by, getting there somehow seems to happen without you even paying attention to it, right? Like you just sort of ease into it, right? But coming out can be like a real shock. If you come out too fast, like if somebody comes and interrupts you when you're in that state, <laughs> you know, like you could get the bends. It's like you can't come up to the surface too fast. You have to sort of ease your way back out of it or it's kind of upsetting. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I definitely have like a physiological sort of uh, kind of space that I go to. It's like definitely or it's a mental state that also somehow like it's maybe it's like meditation. I don't know. I could never meditate for shit. I've tried. Uh, but I think that I'm probably getting pretty close to that kind of state or maybe even beyond it when I'm, you know, working on art. Would you say it's a recharging state or is it a exhausting state? Both. I mean, I'm sort of come out like uh, I'm not physically exhausted when I come out generally, uh, but I can be like just mentally or emotionally or psychologically spent. I was a senior in high school in probably February before I applied uh, to go to college. I was planning on being an auto mechanic. That was the plan. I went to a trade school for high school. So I went to my guidance counselor and he said, well, you thought about going to college? I said, yeah, but I have no idea what I would go for. And he said, well, what do you like to do? And I said, not a whole lot other than work on cars other than i mean i really like painting and drawing and he said uh well did you ever think about going to school for art and i i said you you can do that and like i had no idea you could even do it this was february of my senior year in high school mm. so he said yeah sure you can do it he said you don't have a lot of options right now you're pretty late in the game but you can apply here locally to the local uw and so i did and i got, of course i got in and uh and then I went to school and I was super nervous about it because like I didn't, this was like a world I had not been exposed to. I grew up in the shadow of a factory. I had no idea about like the real art world. I mean, I'd been to the art museum, but somehow that seemed like a million miles away. The characters in my work are, um, you know, I don't know how you describe them, but they're a little scruffy, I'd say, if you were trying to describe, and I want them to be that way. They're maybe a little scruffy. They're maybe a little beat up. They're a little dirty. They're not super refined, but they're not super primitive. They're they're somewhere closer to the way I see and feel my experience to be, which is somewhere in between that. I'm not like a a super cool person. I'm I'm not like a super intellectual, but I think I'm some level of an intellectual, maybe a kind of blue collar intellectual. Uh, even though I like to think that what artists have is not so much intellect as much as a kind of highly developed sense of a specific kind of intelligence. So I believe in that. I'm not anti-intellectual and I don't know. So the work is like trying to get at this place of like felt knowledge that, and, you know, felt experience, not, not necessarily quantifiable experience, not things you could just write down. You can tell a story, right? You can tell the details of a story. But the truth of a story is not in the details. It's often in the embellishments, right? Or not in the specific details. It's often in the things you're not thinking about, in the descriptors, right? That's where I think this work sort of resides for me. Uh, but I want these characters to feel like um, 
they've lived a little. I want the work to have a little bit of the sort of, I always call it the stink of history about it. I want it to feel like it's existed in time and had a kind of life to it. And that, not that that life was invented in a week in the studio, but that when I'm done, somehow the paintings feel like they've been around. Even if you're keenly aware that they're brand new paintings, that they still somehow, I don't know, accumulate this kind of history within them somehow. I want these things to feel like they're existing between worlds, sort of. Like they're in some space that's somewhere between the, the world of like our biological life and a completely mental state that exists only in my head. These characters, certain ones, carry certain significance for me. You know, like the donkey, it's sort of a literal reference to the idea of like working, right? Or being a humble kind of creature that accomplishes a lot, right? That's like uh, sort of one of, one of my spirit animals, I suppose, like a, a, a kind of low down kind of character that really gets a lot accomplished. Uh, and then the bear is very much in my work, a sort of symbol of the kind of nurturing side of being a father. It's almost like a mother part of my character, the whole mama bear thing, but it's like a father bear because I'm a dad. But it's definitely about that paternal or parenting kind of impulse and caring about people, not just my children, though them particularly, but people who sort of, it's always about that, about like, serving other people somehow and taking care of other people uh you know so there are these things that and this is just in my mind what these characters are so i'll start with that attitude like i want this character this this to be about a certain kind of feeling and then the language usually emerges from the image rather than the other way around even though i have like lots of these sort of phrases floating around in my head all the time You know, when I go in the studio every day, I'm in the same place you are when you go in. It's like that impulse doesn't change. Like, yeah, I've been around and I've had some measure of success. And in theory, I should know what I'm doing by now. But I mean, I go in with the same questions, the same desire to make these things better, to get at what I, to make them look and feel the way I want them to better than I did last time or than I did a year ago or a day ago, to try to get it right to make a thing that somehow feels alive, that doesn't just feel like a, you know, like a failure. Like that is the same now as it was 40 years ago or 50 years ago or 55 years ago. I mean, it's, I didn't understand it maybe then. I was just working on pure impulse. I wasn't, I didn't have enough history to reflect on when I was young. Now I have whatever, you know, 55 years of art making to look back on and think about and understand and so, maybe I have a little more, you know, uh, perspective. I certainly have more perspective. I mean, that would be sad if I didn't, but it doesn't mean that the questions don't remain the same. You know, I don't know that we find answers. I mean, do you feel like it ha doing 55 years of art has moved things forward, resolved, closure, answered anything? I mean, do you feel like something has evolved, healed, moved in 55 years, or is it no, still it's, it's, the same it's thing? It's for sure healed. I mean, I don't know if that constitutes answering a question, but it definitely is a kind of, you know, juju that is important for me. Like, it's definitely healed me a lot. I mean, uh, I was a pretty troubled kid and angry 
and still am in a lot of ways. But art has helped me. I say it's helped me to not be an asshole. And that's still part of the pursuit is not to, you know, like display my damage in a hurtful way, you know, like to somehow manage it, to heal it, I guess. And I think it's done that. But it's taken you know, most of these 55 years to get to this place. When you mentioned when you were a kid, you were either getting in a lot of trouble or you were drawing. Uh, and that was yeah. very specific. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I think I had, um, I mean, I don't, I never was treated for ADD, but I think I had it. I was super impulsive as a kid. Like uh, I'll describe like, here's like a thing that I did. Um, that I remember getting in trouble for get very excited about things. Right. So there was this guy who lived across the alley from us in Milwaukee and uh, Joe, he was world war II fighter pilot. And he had this really great, he had just purchased a new like triumph Bonneville motorcycle. And he was like roaring up and down the alley with it. And everybody came out and we, we came out there and I was like super stoked to see this guy riding this, this cool guy with like tattoos riding up and down the alley on this cool motorcycle, just sort of showing off in front of all the neighbors. Right. And I just wanted to be part of it somehow so much that when he was riding back down the alley, just right before he got to us, I just jumped out in front of the motorcycle and I almost killed him. Like he had to swerve away and he drove right into his garage door because he was right across the alley from. Us. And of course, then I got like yanked up by my arm and probably got the ship beat on me. I don't remember. I think I blacked out, but I was always doing shit like that. It was always stuff like that. Like I was, if I wasn't drawing, I wasn't calm. So in fact, I'm, I'm sitting in a rocking chair now to this day in my house. The other way they would calm me down is we had a rocking chair in our living room and nobody was allowed to go into the living room unless company was there, right? It was sort of off limit zone. But we had a rocking chair in there, this big platform rocker. And I was the only one who was allowed to go in there because they would let me go sit in the rocking chair to somehow sort of sedate myself. The rocking somehow calmed me. And to this day, I always have a rocking chair where I'm working or in my studio. Uh, as like some weird, something about the rhythmic sort of motion of it calms me down. Uh, and all the trouble I always got into, it was like, um, I don't know. It's like, I, mean, I think maybe I do have ADD and I've never had it treated or diagnosed. And I need, like art makes it go away. Like I can really focus and be calm and, uh, and not be in trouble. And that from an early age that I realized that was sort of my smacked all the time. And I was always just seemed like constantly getting in trouble. I was a little juvenile delinquent because whenever I wasn't just actively drawing, I was cooking up some way to <laughs> raise hell. Yeah. So, were you were you getting yeah. into real trouble or were you? Oh yeah, yeah. No, real trouble with the cops and the whole thing, fighting a lot. And uh, um, I mean, it was a little bit of a rough neighborhood. You know, it was a really working class neighborhood in Milwaukee and, and uh, you know, I got in a little bit of trouble and, you know, was I stealing shit and was delinquent? And Did you ever think about what path you would have gone on in your life if you hadn't made that connection or discovery of drawing and art? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think it was not, it would not have been a good one. I don't think, I mean, I was, you know, on the fast track to prison, probably, I was not, I was hanging around with a pretty unsavory crew. I mean, even as an artist, I hang around with some unsavory types, but somehow 
we managed to, we're smart enough as a group to try to avoid most of the trouble. But no, I was like a lot of guys that I hung out with as a kid, uh, we, you know, they did go to prison. Um, I mean, it just for st stupidity, you know, like just doing dumb stuff um, and getting caught, you know, you do dumb things enough, you get caught. So I think I, yeah, I always kind of, I, I knew it was not the way I wanted to live. Uh, and I was always actually really a nice and sensitive guy. I just somehow was in kind of a rough area. I, like, I never liked it when I hurt people. I mean, and I did hurt people, but I never liked it. I never felt good about it. I was not one of those guys who liked fighting. Yeah, you kind of remind me a little bit of me as a kid because I was definitely would have been considered, you know, ADHD or ADD because I was a huge behavior problem in particularly in elementary school. And yeah, that's I was not, I was and, and I wasn't like a mean kid and I wasn't getting yeah. into fights, but I always wanted to be the center of attention. And I was right. always trying to draw attention to myself. And it's a really strange, and I look back on it, because um, I remember, I remember being a kid and I remember I kept telling myself, Rick, you have to stop this because the teachers always loved me because I was such a cute kid. And right. at the beginning of the, the beginning of the year, the, te the female teachers thought I was the cutest little kid. And then within like a month, they couldn't stand me. And they were sending right. me to the right. principal's Cause, office. Because you this were acting out all the time. Yes. Yeah. And this kept happening. And I kept telling myself, like, you have to stop this. And you got to break this pattern. <laughs> and, you know, this is my little seven-year-old brain is is telling myself this. And I couldn't. Like, it was like an yeah, acting I, out. I it's mean, very, I was very, it's much, very strange. You know, I was very much the same way. I could not control my impulses. Uh, and and maybe it was to get attention. I don't know. I just, I just felt like I physically could not control myself unless I was drawing. That was the only time. It's like when I was drawing, like, everything else went away. And, and I, so I act, I mean, that was maybe my way of saying, Fred, you have to stop this. So I would draw in order and I, because it's also the only thing I ever got any positive reinforcement for, like, and I was pretty good in school. Like I was, you know, a good speller and a good reader. I was kind of sucked at math, but I was a really good reader, loved reading and, and did well, you know, well enough not to get in trouble academically, but, uh, but the behavior thing was just out of control. Like I yeah. just... I was just too impulsive, I yeah. think. And I, I so. think that, you know, I'm not certainly not an expert in this area, but I do think that it is a little bit of a male thing because I yeah. do remember when I was in elementary school, I remember that the girls never acted out in a way that they got in trouble with the exception of one girl, Elaine Campbell. Yeah, right. That she was an, she was an exception. But um, I do remember that, you know, the, if any kid was getting in trouble, it was always a boy. Always a boy. And the yeah. girls are always behaved. And I remember my little brain was thinking there's something different about girls. Either, girls, yeah. either they're, you know, genetically built differently or they're treated differently at home. Now, I didn't know those. I didn't know the word genetics as a kid, but I was thinking that thought. Right, so it's, right. it's very, they're, it's they're very like different animals. They're very different animals than we are. Yeah. Yeah. They were I mean, then. Was, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I was so, I was so fascinated and obsessed with the girls and of course, but I kind of resented them because it seemed like the ones I knew anyway, I knew they were up to all sorts of shenanigans. They were just much better at getting away with it. And I, I couldn't help but think that 
I was being targeted. I mean, I had a little bit of a persecution complex, I think, because it seemed like I was always getting caught. And the truth was, I was just an idiot and impulsive <laughs> and acting out in ways that could not be ignored. So it's like girls were just slyer about it. They were just smarter about what they were up to. I mean, there were certainly plenty of naughty girls that I knew that were up to all sorts of you know evil deeds, but they just were smarter about hiding it. You mentioned that your artwork is connected with healing. Can you share more about that? I definitely use it as a conduit to sort of um, exercise, uh, like like exercising a demon, like exercise a lot of trauma and negativity in my life. It comes out and it's often couched in humor in the work because I do have, I hope it's a healthy sense of humor about my own suffering my own pain like and i don't mean suffering like i've led some horrible suffer you know pain-filled life i'm talking about the pain that everybody has right like little humiliations or big humiliations embarrassments uh uh you know traumas that were from the from the past uh, from the past from the past or even currently but mostly from the past are these coming to you as thoughts and remembering experiences or are they coming to you more as feelings or both? Well, both, for sure, both. I mean, it's usually recalling certain, you know, states of mind that I've been in at various times and often for long periods of time in my life. Periods of, you know, maybe it was depression. I'm not sure, but it was certainly anxiety and uh, brought on by all sorts of things about feelings of feeling other, not fitting in not, you know, lacking connection or, um, you know, people like feeling like unappreciated, you know, all sorts of things like that, that just bug you, you know, things you carry around with you that are painful, feeling not loved enough, uh, feeling that no matter what you do, you're never going to, it's never going to be reciprocated. Uh, you know, things like that, feelings like that, that just are part of, I think, everybody's life. Right. Sure. Um, and, and then, of course, bigger traumas like abuse as a kid and, uh, you know, relationship with my parents and uh, sort of various humiliations and uh, kind of horrors from my neighborhood when I was a kid and stuff I was involved in, things I inflicted on other people, things that people did to me, you know, being bullied by some psychopaths that lived in my neighborhood when I was a kid. Um, I mean, in really, really evil ways. And then, and then thinking about how I coped with it, right? And my thoughts, which were really complicated, like how to process that sort of pain. Um, and, and honestly, trying to be, even as a kid, philosophical about it, trying to find a way to incorporate who you are now based on all your past experience, incorporate those experiences into something meaningful or transform them into something meaningful. Right. Like to make them like sort of in some ways to take the power of those things because they're powerful experiences and use that power, transform it into something positive, you know, take negative energy and turn it into something positive. So take like a and I and again, I sometimes I couch it in humor. That's one method of sort of transformation. There's a kind of alchemy, right, like making it visual for one, uh, you know, somehow encapsulating it in a visual narrative is one way of uh, sort of alchemically changing 
something really negative into maybe something that has a sort of painful beauty about it, if that's a thing, right? Or a kind of, uh, I mean, I do believe in that, like that beauty can be found in pain. Yep. Okay. Uh, so that, that makes sense to me. Um, but are you, so we all, uh, you know, as you said, we all have our experiences from the past. We have, you know, in the way that you just summarized, like really beautifully as adults, we have all this stuff from our past. So when you are using your artwork, are you coming to the end of that feeling like it's resolved? Like, tell me about like what's happening. Because well, it sounds I'm, like you sound like yeah. you sound like it's more than just like a, an escape. Like like people would no, use drugs no. and alcohol. Yeah, You're not yeah, using yeah. art in that way. You're using no, it no. as a way uh, to actually yeah. transform. Yeah, and the transformation is something that, for me, it transforms it in the moment of sort of recall and deployment as an art object, right? Like, or like in the narrative, like, and I mean, I think you can see this in a lot of the language in my work, if you look, and in a lot of like, you know, the characters are all nicked up, they're all bleeding, they're sweating. I mean, people are like, why do you keep doing that? It's like, because these, these characters are fraught. I mean, they've got a lot of shit going on. And I don't like depicting overly sort of melodramatic uh, gesture. The characters are all kind of just sitting around. They're not doing a lot, which is really how I spent probably the majority of my childhood. And when I wasn't just sitting around, I was getting in trouble. So I kind of depict that state of just being sort of statically fraught, right? That's a condition that I know really well. And that's like kind of like a stand in for the state of sort of anxiety, I think, worrying about all that shit, right? Uh, like internalizing it and then just sweating over it constantly, you know, like in sweating blood over it because you're kind of internally agonizing over all these things and processing them and having all sorts of like, you know, like spiral thinking and going into all kinds of craziness in your head, uh, just going over and over it. And art, the art, by allowing it to sort of be exercised in the work over and over and over, um, it just gives it an outlet. It's not an escape. It's like a relief valve for it. And the longer I've done it, the less the pressure seems to be an issue. Like I'm like in my daily life, the reason I say it's healing is that I'm just at a better place with it. I can talk about it. I can think about it without getting really anxious and upset. I mean, not completely, like it's an ongoing process for sure. And I return to these I mean, they're not, some of them are specific narratives, but a lot of it's just about that kind of whatever it's been, you know, I'm 60 and for 60 years or pretty much as long as I can remember, I've had some level of sort of high anxiety going on and, and I'm just better at not sort of impulsively acting out on it now. Like I've managed, it's healed me in the way that I can look at it at least and understand it and use it more constructively. When people are viewing your artwork and consuming it and connecting with it and sharing with you that they're connecting with it, is that part of the healing process as well? Tell me about what that is like. Often the audience comes with a very different interpretation. I don't care that they don't understand exactly where the, you know, where the germ of it came from. I love the fact that I, you know, I purposely leave it open enough so there's a place for them to enter. And they will have all sorts of ideas about it. Say, oh, I love this because of X, Y, or Z. And I I love that. I love that when you can connect with your audience. That's sort of the completion of the process. 
you shared a lot with me about like your upbringing, your childhood, um, how art was a big part of your childhood. It sort of transitioned into adulthood, career, healing, all of this stuff. For someone listening to this, what do you think they can learn from this story? What I hope is that they can, like, they can let their guard down a little bit, that they can learn that it's okay to like approach art openly from their, their own experience, that they don't have to know anything necessarily even about art to appreciate art. Like that, I think that's, I mean, I hope that by listening to somebody like me, an artist who talks sort of openly about where all this shit comes from and what, you know, what they're up to, that they can have this sense of like, wow, you like has a lot of the same kind of thoughts and feelings I do. They're just channeled through this really, you know, peculiar way of expressing himself or like interacting with the world. And that's something I can understand. And that's a doorway I can enter. You know, that's a way in that because I think so often, at least in, in America, there are all these walls up around art and the access to art is really tightly controlled and they don't really teach it in an interesting or instructive way in school. It's more based on just making. It's not really based on any kind of understanding. And it's not a big part of our um, community culture, especially. I mean, we're trying, but it's not like Europe where people, you know, grow up around, you know, like uh, churches that are full of art and museums that are everywhere that have an urban, active urban life and there are rural museums and there's just more art, period, and an understanding of it in an older culture. We still have this attitude of like, oh, this is sort of an elitist sissy thing to do. And, uh, you know, like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get it. And I don't, and that's um, a pro problem. And I would hope that somebody could learn by listening to me that while artists thought is certainly complicated and, um, and maybe even impenetrable at its core, that the experience of it is the audiences. It belongs to you. And you can bring whatever you want to it. And that's totally legitimate. You should, you know, feel like you have some agency when you're coming to look at art and not feel like uh, it's something that requires some special level of training or education. You can just let yourself respond to it. And the way that people respond to music, like nobody thinks twice about how they respond to music. I don't know why music gets passed on all this, but they do like, they, they say, oof, I don't, yeah, they just, it just, maybe because the access is everywhere. Like it's every, like music is everywhere in our culture and it's a big part of our culture and it's a part of everybody's everyday life more or less like you, and you can't avoid it where art seems like it's something that access is restricted. It's far away. It's super weirdo. It's elitist and, and people have just put up a wall. And if I would hope they could learn anything is that that wall is like completely illusory. There's no wall there. It's just a wall that people put up and that artists by and large, uh, they don't think about that wall. They want their, what art is often is an invitation to communicate. It's an invitation to, into your brain of, of just anybody. You're like welcoming anybody into your brain to say, this is what comes out of my brain. And, I, and may, some people are good at talking about it and some people aren't, but the work exists in the world as an invitation, I think. And if people could see it that way, that it's an open door rather than a wall, 
I would hope they could learn that from listening to me. Fred, thank you very much for talking to me. This was amazing getting to know you sure. better. We, we did not really know each other before we did this podcast. And I think now we've no. spent a couple hours together and I feel like I really know you yeah. well. We're buds now. We are. Now we can, now we, we didn't even have to go have a drink. <laughs> we could have done this over a drink in other times, but, uh, but we'll have a drink in the future. Okay, great. All right, thank you. My name is Ricky McGeckrin, and you have been listening to Eager to Know, the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast. 